0: Welcome to As Luck Would Have It. My name is Abby and I'm the admin and comms worker here at Like Uniting. We're a church based on Gadigal and Mongol land here in Sydney, Australia. You'll find us at Church luc on Facebook. Sermons are on YouTube under the same name and you can find more information about our church and our team at In this episode of As Luck Would Have It, Reverend Radhika Sukumar White is preaching a sermon from John 1, 1 to 18, titled, Why the Incarnation Matters. This is the first episode of our Advent series. I will be providing the reading ahead of the sermon. This is the Gospel of John, chapter one, verses one to 18, from the New Revised Standard Version. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. who were born, not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Thus ends the reading. Please enjoy the following sermon. Take a breath as we center on the
1: word for us this morning and let us pray. Open our eyes, Lord, help us to see your face, open our ears, Lord, help us to hear, open our hearts, Lord. Help us to love like you. We live within you. Rest now in us. Amen. Often at this time of year, theologians and ministers like to pose some sort of the following question on their social media grab some popcorn and enjoy the mayhem. The question is this, which is more important, Christmas or Easter? Some will comment with which season they find more entertaining or less stressful, but many, predominantly people of the same demographics, cough, middle-aged cis white men, cough, (coughs) will wax poetic about what these two holy days mean to them as Christians. The underlying question, when related to faith in the church, is this. Which is more central to our lives of discipleship? The incarnation or the resurrection? I saw someone pose a version of this question this time last year. I think it was on Twitter. And around three quarters of the respondents voted for Easter. And the other, obviously, quarter for Christmas. I wasn't surprised by the results, but I still wonder why. Certainly, Easter is hugely significant. The events of the passion and the cross are the moment of redemption and salvation for all creation the moment where even death is made impotent and the absolute worst and cruelest and most violent of humanity was in some way conquered by the sacrificial love of god in christ it's kind of a big deal but i still wonder whether many if not most people including christians have much of an idea of what the incarnation, that is God putting on flesh, means for us. Like, why do we care? What is the point of Christmas? And therefore, what is the point of the season that we are in, Advent? Let me first go back a couple of steps and orient ourselves to where we find ourselves today. Today is the beginning of a new year in the church. Advent one is New Year's Day in terms of the church year and the lectionary, which we generally follow. And this season of Advent is the four Sundays before Christmas Day. Advent, like Lent, is a season of preparation. In Lent, we prepare to walk with Jesus towards the cross. In Advent, the church calls us to prepare our hearts to receive the baby Jesus anew and to prayerfully wait for Christ to come back. So the church around the world takes these four weeks to encourage congregants to reflect, to pray, and to prepare. This year, after a few years, we're using the Advent wreath, which is traditionally used all around the world, with one more candle lit each Sunday of Advent. Each candle represents a general theme, hope, peace, love, and joy. I think it's that order some churches and ministers feel quite strongly that Christmas carols should not be sung until Christmas Eve or day since Christ has not yet arrived until that time to them I say bollocks but that's another story so each year we have these four weeks to think and pray seriously about the significance of Jesus the Christ being birthed from Mary as a poor asylum seeker baby in a back shed And to look forward in hope and anticipation to the promised return of Christ. The second coming, whatever that means. For more on that, come back. But here is my question. Do we, even in the church, gloss over the incarnation of Jesus because the nativity scene is so sanitized and saccharine that it has ceased to hold meaning? i got to tell you, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, or the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes, that is a bald-faced lie. Like every mother who has given birth vaginally to a child, Mary would likely have taken a dump sometime during labor. The Incarnation scene would have been bloody and sweaty and smelly and loud and dirty and scary. And once again, Mary and Joseph Joseph were literally fearing for their lives, fearing for their safety. And were giving birth in a shed, literally where the animals slept. But we find ourselves with beautiful, largely blonde, white, blue-eyed nativity scenes with the wise men there at the same time as the shepherds and one cow and one sheep gazing lovingly at this clean new baby lying on prickle-free straw. Perhaps in response then, this poem that has made its way around the social media traps over the last couple of years and it just smacks that sanitized saccharine picture in the face. This poem is called A Real Scandal of the Birth of God by Caitlin Hardy Shetler. Here it is. Sometimes I wonder if Mary breastfed Jesus, if she cried out when he bit her, or if she sobbed when he would not latch. And sometimes I wonder if this is all too vulgar to ask in a church full of men without milk stains on their shirts or coconut oil on their breasts, preaching from pulpits off limits to the mother of God. But then I think of feeding Jesus, birthing Jesus, the expulsion of blood and smell of sweat, the salt of a mother's tears onto the soft head of the salt of the earth feeling lonely and tired hungry annoyed overwhelmed loving and i think if the vulgarity of birth is not honestly preached by men who carry power but not burden who carry privilege but not labor who carry authority but not submission then it should not be preached at all because the real scandal of the birth of god lies in the cracked nipples of a 14-year-old and not in the sermons of ministers who say women are too delicate to lead. Real scandal in the birth of God lies in the cracked nipples of a teenager. If that poem made you a little squirmy, it should. It's not how we like to describe things of a divine nature. We generally do not put God and cracked nipples into the same sentence. We like to think that with God, everything is clean and neat and beautiful. Even the gospel writer in today's passage, he says the word became flesh, but he says it in poetic and kind of philosophical language. Now, the problem with that thinking is when we conclude that since humanity and divinity are two different existences, perhaps opposing existences, Then we think that with humanity, everything is dirty, messy, and ugly. And so we look at our bodies, our hormones, our emotions, our mental health, almost with disgust, like they are so vulgar, debased, dirty, carnal. And then we create a theology that says that God in God's magnanimity deigned to descend to earth took on sinful human flesh, fully divine, of course, but God became the very worst of creation, human. Ain't that mighty kind of God to stoop down to our level in so carnal a manner? So I ask you again, why does the incarnation matter to us as followers of Jesus? How can we even connect with the incarnation when we feel so far removed from the images that we see of the nativity? The moment of God taking on flesh and sinew and blood and skin, the silent and holy night when all is calm and all is bright. We began to offer some short-term courses via Zoom, Wine and Cheeses, which is like our Alpha course uh, or Faith 101 kind of course. Uh, Adrian offered one on the book of James in the Bible, Lindsay Cullen offered one on ethical decision making, this year of course we did the Preaching 101 course with about 12 participants. And that which uh, participants fondly refer to as sex class. Not what you think. It's a six week course looking through Nadia Boltz Weber's Shameless Sexual Reformation. It's a brilliant book. And in so doing the group does some deconstruction and reconstruction of theology and values around sex and purity culture sexual ethics the body marriage childbearing and rearing abortion gender identity and so on i led two complete classes of that in 2020 and another two in these last couple of months so Within Leichhardt Uniting Church, a good 50 people have taken part in the course, which indicates to me that there is a desperate need for safe spaces to talk about this stuff within a safe and welcoming Christian community. Anyway, in the very first chapter, Nadia offers a poignant and powerful definition of holiness. This is what she says. Holiness is the union we experience with one another and with God. Holiness is when more than one become one, when what is fractured is made whole, singing in harmony, breastfeeding a baby, collective bargaining, dancing, admitting our pain to someone and hearing them say, me too. Holiness happens when we are integrated as physical, spiritual, sexual, emotional and political beings. Holiness happens in those moments when we are blissfully free from our ego and yet totally connected to ourself and something else. Holiness is the smell of a newborn's head and the exhaustion of a laboring mother. Holiness is the thing I never saw coming that makes me catch my breath because I know that the sacred has interrupted my isolation. She argues that the church has often used holiness and purity as interchangeable concepts because it's easier to define what is pure rather than what is holy. And that is how the teetotaling and abstinence movement came about. Church groups demanding that nothing but tea was to be drunk by God-fearing people, to keep the body pure and undefiled. This is also how purity culture came about. Keep your body pure untouched, undefiled, until you enter the covenant of heterosexual marriage. But purity systems like that do not make us holy. They simply create insiders and outsiders. Purity leads to pride or despair, but not holiness. Because, says Nadia, holiness is about union with, and purity is about separation from. So, I wonder, friends, if the incarnation of God is about the holiest thing that God has ever done. To make the choice to take on human flesh, human emotion, the full gamut of humanity, in order to destroy the separation between the human and the divine. Perhaps. The incarnation of God was about God choosing to join fully and completely with God's creation rather than abstaining from it. Perhaps incarnation was God laying down God's ego, God's crown of glory, in order to fully connect with humanity. Perhaps incarnation was God choosing holiness over purity. How wonderful that is, friends. What great news that is. The good news that isn't simply Jesus died for your sins, but rather that in the incarnation and life and death and resurrection of Jesus, there is no longer male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, godly or human. But where there was two, there is now one. Where there was fracturing based on difference, there is now wholeness and unity. All are united in God. That's the good news of the incarnation. And with that in mind, the incarnation affects everything. Incarnation affects the way we look upon our bodies, fat and hair and gender and all. These things are not debased, disgusting, and ugly. These things are divine because they are what God's self wore in Christ. And more than that, for all our failures to really honour our bodies, they are still God's best way of getting to us. Every God moment we have is in our body. Incarnation also affects the way we look upon women because God came from the vagina of Mary, was breastfed by Mary, cracked nipples and all. Incarnation affects the way we look upon worship because God becomes no longer the big white dude on the throne in the sky. Instead, Through the Incarnation, we worship a God to whom we can turn with any fear, distress, complaint, anything without shame or fear of rejection because God has lived it. God became one of us and experienced so much of what we all experience today. Incarnation affects the way we look upon our calling as disciples of Jesus. To see the image of God in the holy other. Because God was and is one of them. And to borrow from the quote from Le Mis that Gabby Love used a few weeks ago, to love another person is to see the face of God. Because God was a person. So the calling upon us all is to live our lives practicing incarnation practicing making the word become flesh in our lives, putting flesh and muscle and skin on the kingdom of God. It's what Jesus taught too. He said things like, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Give to everyone who begs from you. Consider the lilies and how they grow. Love one another as I love you. These are teachings that we can embody with our bodies. With our actual bodies and even at the end of his life Jesus spent his last night before the cross not waxing lyrical about some theological concepts but teaching his disciples to literally wash feet to literally eat and drink specific concrete bodily ways of of being who they are in the image of God Jesus did not just talk about grace and truth. Jesus, in the words of John, was full of grace and truth. Jesus' ministry and message was wholly incarnational. So yeah, the resurrection is a really big deal. But in the incarnation of God, that which we are looking at this season, god ceases to become unknowable or unseen or unimaginable the veil in the temple was torn at the moment of his death but the veil between earth and heaven is torn right here and now at his birth and these veils will never again be stitched together that is the scandalous glory and the glorious scandal of god's carnal Tactile, beautiful, holy love for us all and for all the world. Thanks for joining us for this episode of As Luck Would Have It, proudly presented by Leichhardt Uniting Church. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe and feel free to leave a rating or review. And you can also visit our website and follow us on Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Have a great day.